sit over there. Don't touch it. All right. All right, so you guys, we're gonna talk about Christmas. And I want, I want to pitch the next four weeks as um, really appreciating that Jesus came in the flesh to a place where we live. Because it's kind of hard, because I mean, we all drove here in our nice cars with our heat on. Nobody had to ride a donkey, I don't think. They didn't check. No donkeys. Um, so it, it was a real time. So, but we're going to keep with the, I'm going to try to just talk about a few different people every week in keeping with that. So we're not going to talk, well, I won't tell you who we're not going to talk about because we might miss some of this. So in about 150 BC, there were all sorts of, there, you, you get your map, get your study Bible when you go home tonight, look at your map of the whole land. And Alexander the Great ruled, and it was the only time in known history that all of the borders of the Mediterranean Sea, so picture the Mediterranean Sea, all of the borders of the Mediterranean Sea were ruled by a single king. We lived, when we lived in Central Asia, and I still regret going there, we lived about 15 miles from the line that Alexander the Great could not cross to take over the whole world. And apparently he made it to that line and he couldn't beat Persia. He couldn't beat that section of Persia and he went home and threw himself on his bed that he couldn't rule the whole world. That might be Persian propaganda, too, I don't know. But Alexander the Great took over all the space. And in all of that space, everybody started speaking Greek. And if the people are coming, and they take over. And we can take over by war, or you can make a treaty with us. And you're like, I know what they did. I know how they do war. We're losers. We're goners. I love Greece. Let's learn Greek. And so they would make a treaty, and they would learn how to speak Greek. And then, this is not unlike modern times, right? The people that were the rich and the elite, the more Greek they could be, then the more they would impress their conquerors. So you have all the elite, rich, powerful government, business, whatever, all those people starting to learn Greek. And they start learning Greek. But... Ever since Babylonian captivity, everybody came back under Ezra and Nehemiah, some people didn't come back. Some Jewish people went out all over the world, and this was called the diaspora. And so Jewish people are living all over the world. By all over the world, I mean all around the Mediterranean Sea. Alexander the Great is taking over everywhere, and everybody's loving being Greek. So all these Jewish people who are Jewish, but if you want to live, you learn Greek. So they become Greek, and they start speaking Greek, and they start losing some of their Jewishness. And so some of the Jewish practices that you did, you might not practice all of I mean, who can make it all the way to the temple three times a year when you live all the way over here in Egypt or Cyrene or Ethiopia, right? And so... 
this melting pot diludedness starts to happen and Jewishness still holds strong in Jerusalem, but to be Jewish in the rest of the world in the diaspora really means you've got a couple prayers in Hebrew memorized that your great great grandpa taught you, but otherwise you don't know any Hebrew. You don't know any of the prayers. You don't understand what all the sacrifices are for. You try to follow the laws because these pagans all around you don't follow the laws and they're really gross. So you have this Greek Jewishness that likes morality, likes virtue. And so in liking virtue and morality, they would stay Jewish. But legalism is always self-serving and you always make if you're just living by a bunch of rules, you always make the rules that suit you the best and you let the other ones go. And so that is what's happening to the whole Jewish kingdom about 200 BC, 150 BC. So in the midst of that, you've got some people that are like, no, we have to hold to the truth of Judaism. We are God's chosen people. And just like what happens in America, as things get, you know, more of a Christian nation, and then it gets diluted, and like it's just not, you know, they people aren't praying in schools and stuff gets filtered down. There's a couple people that get more passionate and they dig their heels in tighter. We have to be Christian like we were in 1950. That's what kind of Christians we have to be. There's all kinds of stuff about the church that was just wrong in 1950. Uh, Billy Graham went to the Soviet Union and he preached. They let him preach in communist Soviet Union. And some of the underground church people came to him and they said, you set us back 50 years. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. I was trying to set us back 2,000 years. So just like here, people dig in their feet and they hold to things that aren't really Christian, but they think they're Christian because they're from a previous generation or two. And so you have all these little groups. And so that happened in Jerusalem. And you start to get some zealots. And zealot, that word, came from these this one group of people that started, you know what, we're going to get our swords, we're going to get our knives, we're going to kill every Roman we're going to see, we're going to brag about how many Roman heads we can chop off in a single swing, and we're going to have a revolt. And... This Greek leader goes into the temple and sacrifices a pig on the temple at the Ark of the Covenant. And that is just, pigs are unclean. He's a Gentile. He should not even be in the Holy of Holies anyway. It's not even the Day of Atonement. He sacrifices this pig. He calls himself Antiochus Epiphanes, which means the appearance and the seeing of God. Like when you look at him, you see God. He named himself that. And they, the Jewish people, they looked at the book of Daniel. When Daniel says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, they're like, that is it. Let's kill him. And so Judas Maccabees and the Hasmoneans get their swords. It says they forcibly circumcised all the unreligious. They just bloodbath, chopped people up and fought and fought and they win back the temple this is in like now listen this is like in the 60s BC 100 
around 100s BC, 60s BC. They kill all these Romans, or all these Greeks. They kill all these Greeks. It's bloody, awful, terrible massacre. They take the temple. They reclaim a whole bunch of Jerusalem. They live in underground caves and tunnels. What in the world? And they're hiding, and they beat all these Greeks, and they try to get the temple sacrifice back because a pig has been sacrificed there. They have to clean it, and they don't have enough oil to keep the lampstand lit, and it's going to take him a week to purify the oil for the lampstand. And God miraculously makes the oil last, and that's what Hanukkah is. So the whole Hanukkah holiday that's celebrated going on now is from the Judas Maccabean and the Hasmonean revolt, where they just butchered these Greeks, and then... The oil lasted for seven days, and they had the menorah, and they had the candles, and they celebrated. All of that happened. Then, okay, so that happened like in the 100, 120, 130. About 50 years go by, and now the Greeks are, have been replaced by the Romans, and the Romans have risen to power, and the Romans are tougher than, oh, like you, you wish the Greeks were here. Because the Romans are just a bulldozer, and they just kill people. And they just fight, and they bulldoze, and they wipe out. And Jerusalem is like, they're coming, and we are going to die. And this one dude, who's not Jewish, but he married this Jewish lady. Hey, everybody, now I'm Jewish. How about if I make peace with Rome, and I save all of Jerusalem? And so he goes and he wines and dines and he talks to the leaders and he's like, we'll be, build a truce. You let me be in charge and everything will be cool. And they say, okay, Herod, thank you. You're a genius. And so the people say, we've got a Jewish leader. The Romans say, we've got a Roman leader. And it's Herod. It's Herod the Great. All of that is going on in like uh, 40 BC, you have the Julius Caesar getting stabbed in the Ides of March and all of that turmoil. You've got all sorts of political fighting within the family of the Caesars and just politically it's a mess. And here you are, a Jewish person, and all your cousins don't even know a lick of Hebrew. They all know Greek. Some of them don't even get circumcised anymore so they can be like all their Greek buddies. Like they've completely sold out to be Greek. They've made peace with the Romans. You've got another cousin that died in the Maccabean Revolution where they waved their palm branches and said, let's kill them all. That's what the palm branch was a symbol of kill all the Romans and take back Jerusalem. And so you're in the middle of this. It's politically tense. Even within families, it was tense. Everything was mixed up. So we're, we're zooming in, and we come down on this old guy. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. 
In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. So I've just tried to sum up for you what all it meant when you read in the days of Herod, king of Judea. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, we're not even a hundred years out from one of the bloodiest, rebellious uprisings ever to happen between Jerusalem, Judea, Israel, and the other, the outside world. So, to be a hundred years out of it, just think, you know, this is as this is close back as like World War One, right? World War One is a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, all of that stuff I just described to you happened in this in this time setting. So you're a hundred years away from this massive thing. Romans are walking the street every day. They are always around, and they've been here since that big uprising happened a hundred years ago. But they change leaders like crazy, and they're always stabbing each other, or stealing each other's wives, killing their own kids. I mean, it's it's crazy. All that's happening. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there's a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. That is all super important and was preserved and kept, written in books in the temple in Jerusalem at this time. So anybody that showed up, if you could rattle off your lineage back three or four generations, they'd go look in these scrolls and books and records and they kept records and they kept it all in Jerusalem in the temple and they could find where you were and that would prove your identity that you were Jewish and then you could go into the certain rooms you could do certain things and that would show because they're all dispersed the diaspora has happened they've been flung all over the world so if you show up and you look like an Ethiopian and you say my name's O'Sullivan. I'm from Ireland. They're like, no, you aren't. But if you can name your dad and your grandpa and your great-grandpa and your grandma, and you can get some genealogy going and name off some people, they can look you up in the book and they can find it. You are good grief. Welcome home. And then they'll let you do all the Jewish things, okay? The reason why that's important is because in 78, this is a little tangent, in 70 AD, there would be an uprising against Rome, and Rome would destroy the temple and destroy all of those record books. So from 70 AD onward, nobody knows for sure who's descended from whom. So if you want to have a Messiah that you can prove is descended from David, he has to come before 70 AD, before those books are destroyed. And if he doesn't, he can't prove his lineage. But they don't know that's going to happen. They don't know a lot of stuff's about to happen. So Zechariah, he's a priest from the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And you know what that means? The descendants of Aaron are the only people that can go into the Holy of Holies that should make all your flags go off. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments 
and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. They weren't reading Greek. They weren't not getting circumcised. They were doing everything. They were holding to the law. That's, in, that's, that's what that is saying there. They were sticking with it. They weren't giving into the world. But the system had been affected by the work. While he was serving as priest for, before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So they took all, I mean, remember when Aaron had like four sons? Nadab and Abihu wiped out. Now he's only got two sons and only sons of Aaron can be the high priest. It was really easy. It's either going to be this guy or this guy, right? Well, this is 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to this. There's a zillion sons of Aaron, great, 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 great grandchildren of Aaron that are qualified to serve in the priesthood. So they broke them up into 24 groups. They split them up into 24 equal sections and you got to serve for two weeks and you would be on a rotation. So they don't have all those guys there. They'd have all those guys there on feast days, but otherwise you're only gonna be working in the temple when it's your week to do it. And then six months from now, you'll have another week to do it. And there's so many of you guys that show up that week that we're gonna cast lots and pick a number to see who gets to do that. So of all the weeks, this was his week, of all the days, today was the day that he got to pick his number, he gets his number, and he goes in, and all this is, this isn't even Day of Atonement stuff. This is just to burn incense. And all those other guys are standing outside. Oh, man. I've been coming here two weeks a year for the last 14 years, and I never got my number picked. And, and you might not ever get your number picked. You might not ever do it in your whole life. So for Zechariah to get his number picked was a big deal. He goes in. They're all praying outside. Because what else are you going to do? you got all these guys that showed up. They can't burn incense in the room, so they're going to stand out and pray and just have their week of retreat prayer anyway. They're all outside. He goes in, and there appears to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. He's never done this before. Statistically speaking, he's never going to do it again. And it's a really rare chance that he even got to do it at all. There's no kind of training. You get told what to do outside. They tell you what to do. You're going to go in here. You're going to burn incense. You've got to do it like this. You've got to recite this thing. You've got to do it this way. And then you come out. But you have no idea what this looks like. It's only been described to you by the few people who have done it before. You go in. And it's just a room covered in gold. And there's no natural light. And all there is is the lampstand. The lampstand, the Hanukkah, that. And it's all paneled in gold. And it's like you have entered God's throne room. And there's this curtain. And that curtain over there, that curtain protects you from God. Because in there is the Holy of Holies. 
and only one person gets to go in there once a year when they're covered in blood from a lamb after they did all these other sacrifices and they have to walk in a certain way and oh my gosh, I'm not getting anywhere closer to that because I will be struck dead. I'm going to burn incense. There's another guy in here with me. <laughs> How ter Like add to all the terrified, right? There's somebody in there waiting for him. They didn't come in behind him, and all of a sudden they're just there. When I used to work at Crossroads, uh, I was in the tech, and I'd aim the lights and did all the video and did all this equipment stuff. And sometimes um, in the dark, I'd have to go down this really, really long hallway, and the only light I would see was the light coming in between the doors that I had to go through. And I'd be walking in the dark, and I thought about this exact thing. And I was like, there's nobody down here. It's always locked. Nobody can get in here. If all of a sudden I see somebody, the only thing, the only person that's going to be in here is an angel. And I would just walk as quick. I mean, I'm like 30. Walking as fast as I can to see that little light between the door. Just to get there and be like, ah, okay. Fluorescent lights. Everything's normal here. Good. He was in there. There's no, no one else should be in there. All the obstacles he's gone through his entire life to get in there. And all of a sudden there's a guy. I mean, it doesn't, let's not even talk about what he looked like. Let's not even talk about an angelic being. Just the fact that there was another person in there would scare you to death. Okay. But let's talk about what he looked like. So... Only place in the Bible where angels have wings, they have six wings, and they have two of their wings covering their feet and two of their wings covering their eyes, and with the other two wings, they're flying. So that's not to blow up all the Christmas images of angels, but that's not what angels look like. With um, some AI people have made this a funny thing, and it'll come up sometimes, you'll see it on Facebook, they'll be sharing. A biblically accurate angel from Ezekiel. And it's like a ball with wheels and a wheel within a wheel. And there's eyeballs all over it. And there's seven wings. And it's just this crazy looking thing. That's how angels are described. Whenever they show up to people, they never look like women. Interesting. They are mistaken. Abraham mistakes them. And Lot mistake them for men that are just men. They don't even have anything about them that makes them think that they have power or anything. But Joshua sees one, and he, the one that he sees has a sword, and when he sees it, he drops on his face. Daniel sees one. When Daniel sees one, it's standing, and it's enormous. And he falls on his face. Everywhere in the Bible where people see angels and they are believers, when John sees an angel in the book of Revelation, all the believers fall on their faces. Unbelievers, when they see angels, fall backwards. Weird. Is there anything to it? I have no idea. It's just weird. Little, you do that Bible trivia over lunch at Culver's today. So this angel shows up. 
He looks like a man. Zechariah knows he's an angel. There is something about him that he knows this is an angel. Because he doesn't say, hey, get out of here, kid. Or there's a Roman in the temple. You know, he doesn't come running out. It's Antiochus Epiphanes all over again. Get the Maccabees. Let's kill this guy. He is stunned. There appears to him an angel of the Lord standing to the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. Fear fell upon him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. If you counted how many times when angels show up, their first words are, do not be afraid. It's awesome. That is their message. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. What? His prayer? And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you're going to call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great before the Lord. Wow. Zechariah, old guy has completely given up any chance of having kids. Remember this whole business? They took what God said to Eve and they twisted it a little bit. They messed things up and they said, you're only righteous if you have babies. And so they carry that burden and Elizabeth is carrying that burden. And God says, I want this to be totally miraculous. So I'm going to pick old people. I'm going to pick this completely random, picked out of nowhere Zechariah. And you're going to have a kid. And your kid's going to be like Elijah. And he's going to just change all of Israel. So you hear that, and you're thinking, a hundred years ago there was a kid that tried to change Israel, and he got killed. And it was brutal. And we all know that Rome came and stopped. And this angel says, you're going to have a son that's going to be awesome. The spirit... Uh, he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Your kid is going to be like Elijah. Well, this is like, they say, Grace, it's time for her to buy a good violin. She's going to be like Mozart. And you're like, oh, take my money. Your kid is going to be like Elijah. He's going to bring a spiritual revolution to Israel. And Zechariah hears this and says, how can I know this is true? I love it. He is skeptical. He is not just going to believe everything he hears. How? And Gabriel gets mad and says, okay, remember that whole don't be afraid business? Forget it. Now it's time for you to get afraid. I love. So we, it's only written. We don't have tone. We don't have mood. We don't have how they say it. But it's just awesome. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this? I'm an old man. My wife is old. My wife is advanced in years. That's the politically correct way to say, my wife is old. The angel answered him, I, I can't say this without losing it. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. He's like, you don't know who I am. I am Gabriel. Now you know who I am. 
Do you know where I am? I stand in the presence of God. Ephesians 2 says we are already in Christ Jesus. We are seated in the heavenly places with God. Gabriel doesn't say I stood in the presence of God. I'm going to light my hand on fire. Gabriel doesn't say I came from heaven to tell you this. He says I stand in the presence of God. I am in God's presence right this minute, little old man and you're going to have a kid just like I said and this is what is going to be your sign to you he's like God can I give him a sign God's like that doesn't happen I am Gabriel I stand in the presence of God I was sent to speak to you and bring you these good news and behold you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time we just heard that Zechariah is righteous. We just heard that he follows the law and that his wife follows the law. We just heard that he didn't believe an angel when an angel spoke to him face to face. Do not get down on yourself if you ever feel like you did not have faith. If you ever feel like, oh, I just doubted God. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. All right, that puts you in league with Zechariah. So do like him and shut up and quit saying that stuff about yourself because you're the holy righteousness of God. So he comes out. And he's trying to talk to them and he can't speak. And everybody, remember, there's a whole division of people. They all wanted their numbers to be picked. They're all scared to death and as excited as can be. Will I be the one that gets to go in there? Zechariah goes in there. They're like, dude, it's taking a long time. The guys that trained him are looking at their watches like, this is not supposed to take this long. I know, they didn't have watches. Like something is off. And when he comes out and he can't talk, that is a sign to everybody that something just happened. In the midst... this is going to come up every week too. In the midst of all of these Hasmonean rebellions and Alexander the Great and all of this war and oppression and bulldozer armies coming through, everybody is longing for the Messiah to come. They want the Messiah to come so bad because when the Messiah comes, all of that is over. All of that ends, and the kingdom of heaven is here. That's the only thing the Messiah means. The Messiah means the end of Gentiles, the end of pigs getting sacrificed on the Holy of Holies. It's all over, and we, God's chosen people, win forever. So for all of these people, oppressed, beat down, gosh, we got half the people our sons aren't even getting circumcised anymore. They're all speaking Greek. They don't, they say God's name. You're not even supposed to say God's name and they say God's name. They eat pork. Like it's all messed up. And something has just happened that Zechariah comes out and he can't talk because he's seen an angel 
What did the angel tell him? He can't tell them because he can't talk. He can't even. What's funny is like the way they would talk and the way they would do literature and whatnot, a lot of them were literate. These guys would be literate. They'd be able to read Hebrew, but we don't have any message of him writing a note and explaining what all happened. He got to sit on this for nine months before he got to tell the whole story and he tells it. And so he goes home and this is the end. For five months, she kept herself hidden and she said, this the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. That the Lord is already starting to save people from shame and re-give them a completely new identity. I mean, how's Elizabeth's identity going to change? Zechariah's advanced in years wife who doesn't have any kids. Her new identity, John the Baptist's mom. Just this, Jesus is already starting to change the identity of people into a completely new world and this is going to, this is all going to happen. And this is what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for how you change us and transform us. That you work miracles among us. And that you save, that you bring salvation, that your name is salvation. It's not even your middle name. And that you do it. And we thank you so much, Lord that you came into the world against so, such great odds and you did it all to save us and to spend eternity with us. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you, Lord. Amen.